0: Welcome to Remarkable Retail Podcast, Season Four, Episode Six. I'm Michael LeBlanc, and I'm Steve Dennis. Well, Steve, we stop. We, we're going to stop everything. Stop the presses. There's a big breaking news. Macy's, Wetzel's, Pretzels. We got to stop everything, and we're going to just dedicate the entire episode. Well, no, really. Probably not.
1: Well, I don't. Wanna, I'm going to break some news too. I feel like I need to go back and do a third edition of Remarkable Retail because <laughs> this is the sort of. Strategic partnership that is a game changer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think for all of our customer insight professionals out there, yeah, um, you know, they they're just going to want to dig into the case study that said the turnaround behind Macy's is, is totally dependent, yeah. upon having a
0: pretzel vendor, yeah. in their stores. Yeah, so. we we jest, but we both had the same reaction. We saw the press release, and I think NRF covered in their news as the like the headline story. I'm like. Ugh. <laughs> anyway. anyway, listen, we got a great episode ahead of us. Uh, it is a solo episode, uh, which I love, and which the audience loves. And thanks again to everyone uh, who's tuning in. Uh, very strong support and great feedback. And this episode is uh, is the stores strike back again, again. So we're 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 going back into familiar yet so interesting and developing territory with uh, the idea of thinking about the role of stores. Yeah
1: yeah I mean I think we're you know we have talked about aspects of this certainly, uh, and you know I don't want to preview things too too much, mm-hmm. but I think it's just it's been really interesting, and we'll talk in in the news in a second about kind of some data that supports this but but how physical retail is kind of having its day despite you know, you know obviously the retail apocalypse narrative, but I think you know this whole idea that e-commerce was so accelerated during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. stores still mm-hmm. seem incredibly important different but still incredibly important so we'll unpack that a bit
0: there is no question the uh the news of of their demise was quite quite early and and as we always knew wrong in the way it was presented uh in the current in the in the narrative anyway so supporting that let's jump into the news uh current news there's a bunch of numbers that came out for january and some other stuff that's happening around uh of course, the news is talking this ridiculous month over month, but talk about your insight about year-over-year year, uh, retail in the States, and, and what's, uh, what are you seeing in the numbers? Yeah, so every month we get this U.S. commerce report, and
1: I don't know that we'll, we'll necessarily take this on every time the data comes out, but I think as we emerge from COVID, it's, it's just interesting to see the continuing shift. So kind of the headline, I guess, was that year-over-year uh, year numbers continue to be very, very strong, way above... What is what is typical? Though the rate's starting to moderate a bit, and I suspect this is is a function of inflation. It's a function of government stimulus wearing off. Um, as far as looking at some of the detail in the numbers, I don't know if there was anything that was really all that interesting. I mean, furniture, all things home, kind of continue to do well. Um, you know, auto sales, parts, gasoline being hit by inflation, so some some weakness there. Uh, but, um, and when we're not quite seeing the return, though, I think this is going to change pretty quickly of a shift back to eating out at the expense of grocery grocery still looks to be quite strong and restaurants are kind of, but the, uh, what I thought was the most interesting thing and Jason Goldberg, our friend, Jason Goldberg, um, was, uh, was sharing this on LinkedIn, uh, yesterday we're recording this on Friday. Uh, but the A share of e-commerce to the total actually went down. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of fun with numbers here because physical retail is still so much bigger than e-commerce that even though the rate of e-commerce is quite strong, because physical retail is doing quite well, it actually affected the overall penetration numbers. And Brendan Witcher, another friend of the show from Forrester, was also talking about how he had predicted that this was going to happen. And um, I, I, you know, we've talked about this kind of rebalancing that's going on, mm-hmm. but uh, but but it's it's quite interesting. After all the you know ten years of e-commerce acceleration, yeah. death of stores that that we've actually got the the first quarter or the first month, I guess, uh, where the share of e-commerce to the total has actually taken reversal now i think it's going to take several more quarters before we kind of really see yeah. how this settles out but that i thought that was interesting and really kind of speaks to some of the things we're going to get into in the rest of the episode
0: yeah it's actually a good setup almost as if we uh almost as if we planned it um let's let's dive in a little deeper uh walmart couple of earnings i want to talk about uh, both walmart earnings and on this side of the border uh, canadian tire earnings but let's uh, start with your observation about uh walmart's earnings yeah, Walmart reported uh, this week, and uh, while their
1: sales growth was was overall kind of anemic, there are a couple of interesting things. First of all, one, and this is just a reminder of how, how badly some companies were hurt by the depths of the COVID crisis, they had a, uh, what is it, it's like a $4 billion swing in operating earnings. They had a very substantial net income this past quarter, uh, but that compares to losing over $2 billion a year ago, so huge reversal in fortunes there. Uh, Their same-store sales in both the Walmart brand and Sam's Club were pretty strong in the U.S., not so much internationally. Uh, But an interesting number, and again, this is where we kind of get into this like two-year stack, three-year stack. Their U.S. e-commerce sales only grew by 1% year over year. So then you kind of go and go like, well, what the hell is happening there? But that's a 70% increase from two years ago. So again, you have this kind of um, very strong e-commerce growth, some moderation just because of the real spike we saw during the depths of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, and I also noticed one little thing that uh, their advertising revenue had peaked. I think it was kind of close to two billion dollars, which is just interesting to me because last episode or the episode prior, we were talking about uh, Amazon's finally breaking out their advertising revenue. So it's not the only game in town, right? So you know, in store, absolutely, yeah, absolutely not. They got a nice network in store where the vendors can buy. Uh, what they need to buy and get in front of uh and get in front of the customers so um you know it's interesting i I just caught that i thought it was interesting all right let's talk about canadian tire this side of the border of course breaking news uh that today is friday they are uh they're breaking up the ottawa demonstration the borders are are clearing we're seeing i'm seeing on social media the uh the protesters are complaining that no one's being read their miranda rights (laughs) But of course, you know this is Canada, and there are no Miranda rights here. So uh, I was going to say, is that is that a thing? That is not a thing on this side of the border. But uh, anyway, I, our education system fails us every now and then. Uh, yes, but the, the dumb is strong in, the, in these. Folks. It, it is. Um, but Canadian Tire blockbuster results have been doing very well. I mean, they're in the you know they, they're in the right category. they they've overcome store challenges. You know, stores being only able in some ways to operate at 50% uh, in a couple of major provinces. Uh, EPS shares earnings is up 5%. You know, just great numbers. Comparable sales grew 11% in the quarter, 8% for the full year. Uh, So Canadian Tire, you know, long, you know, many pundits many years ago, decades back when other big box hardware stores came to Canada, they thought Canadian Tire was really going to suffer. But they've just strength upon strength. And their logistics expertise is just fantastic. So they really... They're really nailing it on uh, on their many, many banners, right? Canadian Tire of the Store, Sport Check, right? big uh, sporting retailers, Marks, uh, which is more for uh, workwear. And then they. Oh, did you know that they owned uh, Helly Hansen, the brand Helly Hansen? Did you know that? They don't know that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they're backward integrating, so it's it, it just in their expertise in sporting goods. They keep it kind of not keep it quiet publicly, but they you know they don't uh, advertise the connection. But yeah, they're a very interesting company. So if you're listening uh, from the U.S. or elsewhere in the world, you don't know Canadian Tire, spend a few minutes to uh, to get to know them because they're a super super um, well run and and really interesting company. So other things in the news. I mean, we were kidding about uh, Macy's, but uh, we've got some other. Uh, odds and sods in the news to kind of wrap us up. DoorDash earnings or lack thereof. I think that's an interesting footnote if you want to say on on where we are with grocery and restaurants. What did you, what did you think about the DoorDash earnings? Did anything pop out in your mind about those? Well, this kind of continues the theme of the uh,
1: so called profitless prosperity. You know, these companies are like, oh my god, look how strong this business is, and yet they continue to incinerate cash. Um, I think DoorDash is interesting. Obviously, the demand being really fueled by. A lot of what COVID wrought. Uh, At the same time, you hear a lot of complaints about how high their fees are. You know, restaurants and others really pushing back on the DoorDash, not just DoorDash, but all those delivery companies' fees. A lot of issues with the um, the drivers being underpaid, not having benefits, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And you'd think they're pretty far along in their technology investments. So, you know, what is it going to take? For these companies, because it doesn't seem to me like it's Mm. just a scale issue, right? Like if you've got unit cost issues, getting bigger doesn't necessarily help you. So at what point um, do these companies get on a glide path to profitability or do they really have to start to make some pretty substantial changes to get there? So, Mm. um, but Wall Street seems to like it. Okay.
0: Well, and in, in the restaurant sector, food service is an interesting one to keep an eye on because they're they're being impacted of course very much by COVID, but also, you know, US inflation, Canadian inflation numbers too are quite high and you know, food inflation is leading the charge in terms of inflation from a component perspective and that's got to get priced into menus somehow and these operators got to make money somehow. It's got to come from somewhere. Feels like everybody's going to have to take some pain, the customers and uh, the uh restaurant tours and these service providers, so it just can't it can't keep going on where nobody everybody works super, super hard in restaurants and don't, doesn't make any money. It just it just doesn't work right? yeah, no, I agree all right, well, uh, that was a good quick overview of the news let's uh, let's jump into our section. the store strike back again again all right, Steve well let's get into it. We're calling this episode the store Strike Back again again. Now, notwithstanding that we're both Star Wars fans. What are we talking about here?
1: Well, um, so I wrote an article for Forbes almost exactly three years ago, I think. Mm. And uh, I also talked about this idea of the stores striking back in my book. When I wrote that article, and then, you know, subsequently kind of expanded upon it in my book, the point I was mm-hmm. trying to make about the stores striking back, it was a bit of this anti-retail apocalypse narrative which I hope by now we've, we've kind of moved beyond that. But what I was, was trying to get at was that it seemed like there were quite a few retailers, uh, particularly some pretty big established retailers, that were starting to invest in their stores again. And fundamental premise, I guess, was this idea that you should see your stores, ideally anyway, as assets, not liabilities, And, you know, that, that was kind of the prevailing narrative that physical stores were liabilities. They were, Mm -hmm. they were weighing folks down. And so therefore you should close stores, you should disinvest in them, kind of use them as cash cows. And I was seeing this, what I thought was a pretty interesting shift. And I think what was going on then was that number one, there was this understanding that, uh, which we've talked about before that. Stores are, in fact, uh, important in many cases uh, uh, in the delivering this omni-channel or harmonized experience. So, if you don't have a decent physical presence, then that, then your digital business suffers, and vice versa. I think this was around the time that the ICSC had their Halo Effect report, uh, right. which which showed how stores could be very important in driving. The online business. So there were a bunch of things that were going on that were kind of defying this, this retail apocalypse narrative. And I, and I thought it was interesting. And I, and I think Target in particular had announced that they were going to be spending many billions of dollars on their stores. And that was pretty surprising to people, particularly when there was this kind of, aside from the retail apocalypse narrative, there was also this sense that if you're a general merchant retailer like a target or a best buy or a walmart you're kind of doomed when it comes to competing mm-hmm. with amazon
0: i mean there's also this paradox and it's uh, you know a couple of 3 years later we still think about it and it's a good thing to frame to the listeners because on the one hand we see this incredible growth of e-commerce continuing it's you know accelerated certainly during the covid era but it was always it was always going to be so in other words e-commerce can continue to grow And so, therefore, I just need less stores. So this is this paradox. because There's truth in both statements, right? You may need less stores. We've talked about, you've talked about extensively, Me, you probably need your stores to do something different. But ultimately, do you need as many stores if 25% of your product is sold online? I guess that's where you get to talking about what does online retail even mean and what's the strategic role of the store, right? Well, perhaps the best way... To, to answer that question,
1: and I know we've talked about this a little bit as well, is, is understanding the difference between buying versus shopping. And, you know, so much of retail for a long time was really having a physical store be a place to display product and go pick it up. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's really all your physical store is doing, then, there's a pretty good chance that a lot of the value of displaying inventory and having inventory available for customers to take with them, you really risk having a lot of that move online. Ideally, it moves to your dot com business, but, but right, uh, right. you know, if, in that sense, if it's just all about having these kind of expensive warehouses and displaying a lot, then I think clearly, you need less space over time. Understanding the role of the store is critically important. So, if that's all your story is about, yes, you you risk having that migrate uh, and continue to migrate aggressively to pure e-commerce. But I think we started to when we started to see the blurring of the lines and this omni-channel harmonized, blurred world going on, and stores started to become important to fulfillment. And were important in terms of advertising and other forms of service th- in support of e-commerce. Then you have to, I think, say, whoa, whoa, whoa! You know, not not so fast. I was really at that time, you know, the kind of first store strikes back uh, narrative was, let's be careful what we wish for here, because if you just reflexively say we need fewer stores and we need mm. smaller stores and we need to disinvest in our physical stores, you may actually start this downward spiral.
0: You may, and, you may actually get what you want, which is a, in unintentional consequences. You may get yourself a smaller business. Right? Exactly. It's, and it's, and, I, and, and yeah. I think you know, there's other things going on, but I think you can clearly
1: see, I mean, there's many, many examples of retailers mm-hmm. that have been closing stores over the years, particularly the, the department stores, that haven't improved their fortunes. You know, they, mm-hmm. the, they didn't have a store closing or too many stores problem, as I often say. They had a t- not enough brand problem. Yeah. So so like I said, I think it, there was this kind of interesting, I was trying to communicate a reaction that, uh, you know, not so fast or don't be too simplistic about if everything moves online or more stuff moves online, not everything's moving online, but if more stuff moves online, that means we have to close stores, that means we have to make them smaller, that means we have to limit Mm -hmm. our investment so that was the that was the first shift and as it turned out uh, a number of the retailers that i mentioned earlier but you can add tractor supply and home depot and a bunch of others to the list because they actually started to make that shift and started to invest in their stores more differently for sure but but started to realize their importance in their total brand performance they actually initiated a lot of things pre-COVID that turned out to actually serve them very well during COVID, which, of course, I don't have any reason to think they, <laughs> that was the driver that they, that, that was a scenario they were protecting against. They were doing it just because it was smart business.
0: Well, in your mental framework, if I take you back three years and even if I take you back to when you wrote your 2022 predictions, because that's also where this comes up, the story struck back again and again, is um were you thinking of the competitive advantage of stores vis-a-vis, you know, the fists of stone, as I guess Scott Galloway would describe them, of someone like an Amazon who can, you know, is obviously getting to a point where they're gonna get everything to everybody potentially within a very short amount of time. And there's, you know, there's a lot and a lot of people who can invest at the pace to achieve the same thing, unless you've got stores. Even then were you were you contemplating that as part of the future in addition to what you're describing as the the broader strategic role. Well, I was, and one of the reasons why I pushed back pretty
1: hard on the retail apocalypse narrative was I felt like it ignored the value that physical retail can bring in certain circumstances, not, mm. not all. So if you just say, well, everything that can possibly go online will go online, that leads you to do some things that will cause you, as we talked about mm-hmm. a second ago, you it know, could make matters much worse. Started a downward spiral, but there's also opportunities to to counteract uh, some of Amazon's perceived perceived value uh, mm-hmm. or advantages, I guess, or just in general e-commerce's advantages. You know, one of the things I know it's come up many times is that fulfillment in e-commerce tends to be pretty expensive. And so rather than paying somebody to go take the product to somebody, having the customer do the work and come to your store, Mm-hmm. often is way more profitable. And that was mm-hmm. the other thing that I uh, that I realized was at some point, well, somebody's going to say, well, wait a minute. It's actually, not in all cases, but in many cases, it's actually very, very disadvantageous to our profitability to let customers migrate to the e-commerce channel, even if it's our e-commerce channel. And so yeah. I thought there would be some countervailing forces uh, from, from just a pure profit maximization standpoint. Um, not to mention, you'd like to get customers in your store for you know to sell them other stuff or to have a tighter reasons, connection yeah. with your brand.
0: Do you do you think the the broader philosophy is changing out there? I, I talked to merchants who, um, you know, when asked about things like curbside or store pickup, they they see it as uh, you know there's I, I don't know what percentage it is, but some of the a percentage see it as just an expensive way of doing physical retail. The sure. rest are kind of more aligned to yes, but. As you said, there's a tremendous economic advantage to keeping consumers as part of the supply chain. As one of our guests once said, you know, go, go pick it up yourself. And where, where do you think we are on that spectrum? Do you think more retailers today are turning their minds to, you know, really stores can provide that strategic leverage point uh, and, and we should get our heads around a different way of doing the math? I've definitely been hearing
1: more of that um, recently. Uh, certainly, you had some retailers that that realized that and were acting on it I, I think there 's this aspect of i mean there 's the gravitational pull of of things moving towards e-commerce that no given no one retailer mm-hmm. can do anything about and so you don 't want to you don 't want to have a fight with gravity, as I often say, because <laughs> gravity always wins um, but but any good retailer, and you know this very well there are things you can do to merchandise your assortment or set your pricing strategy or mm-hmm. create other incentives to get your mix to be more favorable. So I think you have to be really clear about, you know, accept the things you cannot change, uh, but focus on the things that that you can. And there are definitely opportunities to, to um, mix your way to or merchandise your way to a more, profitable mix I you know probably part of what what happened and you know when I say the stores strike back again the first part of that without adding the additional again was during the height of COVID obviously we saw this massive shift towards all things digital and online Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but at the same time we saw stores get much more involved in e-commerce fulfillment And I think that gave many retailers a greater appreciation for the role of stores more broadly. Mm. I think it also made it pretty obvious, just from a um, cost analysis standpoint, how expensive some of this fulfillment was if you had to um, get a local delivery service to drive it or, or even shipping things to yeah. customers' homes. Like, I just, you know, I think that was certainly known generally, but the degree to which that happened or, um, I guess, and or retailers that suddenly had that be a much bigger part of their mix, like the the numbers just, y- you couldn't escape the, yeah. the financial impact from that. So I think that's also causing retailers to go like, wait a minute, maybe there's a, as we hopefully get beyond COVID here, um, you know, maybe there's a better way of doing this.
0: Well, I also think that um volume in some cases solves some sins. In other words, we had retailers who were getting, you know, ten, twenty, thirty orders a day to curbside, which is really an inconvenience. It's it's actually, you know, you can't have much dedicated assets for that. Go to four to five hundred. And right. that volume may not sustain the way it is today. I just did a, a store pickup myself here locally. And and I'm perhaps a good example. Yesterday I had my groceries delivered to my doorstep, but this morning I went and did a curbside pickup went great and the technology is so much better the experience so i think it's accelerated both the acceptance of and then the volume said okay i'm gonna start like it seems like a self-fulfilling not self-fulfilling prophecy but a virtual circle of if we do this right we can actually be pretty remarkable at it and compete against some people we may not be able to compete against on a the same level playing field for sure i mean there's no question that there are are certain aspects of,
1: of all of this where volume is very, very helpful. Um, There's the learning curve, right? Mm -hmm. So if you didn't have much experience with it or the experience curve, I guess, um, where you get better at it and you discover new ways to do it that are better for the customer, better for your economics Uh, technology is getting better all the time, but there clearly are parts of, I was just talking to somebody this morning about how unprofitable many aspects of, of the grocery business are when it comes to home delivery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some, at least at our stage of understanding, there are some immutable forces there that if, you know, you're only selling $20 worth of stuff and you got to pick it and send it through a local home delivery company, you know, it's pretty hard to figure out how you're ever going to make money on that. Um, But that also, I think, forces retailers to think more holistically about, well, maybe that order isn't profitable, but maybe the whole customer relationship Mm -hmm. is profitable. So I'm not going to sweat the details on, on, um, aspects of that. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think in general, the, the customer lifetime value approach is, is a more helpful way to look at things when you're, when you're dealing in this digital physical mix anyway. So there's a lot, I think that was really revealed or brought to the forefront during the depths of the pandemic that certainly some companies were were paying attention to, but I think it's just gotten to be much broader so so the store striking back again really happened during the the pandemic where uh there was just a lot more of of an understanding of how stores were actually pretty important to serving mm. a lot of what we label as e-commerce even though you know it's really ordered online but fulfilled from a brick and mortar asset
0: now you touched on it in your comments let's let's focus in on it for the last uh, back half or back part of our of our discussion and that's the cost of customer acquisition so if you take a lifetime value approach you may not make money on that single individual item but you've got a customer you've acquired a customer at what may be a very advantageous rate when you put it all together i mean we last week we had uh the great founders of the citizenry on who've got a store and um also have online and and we talked about you know does it make sense to have a lot more stores because it, it was seems counterintuitive but Where do you sit in all this narrative around stores as both media entertainment and a vehicle for new customer, new customer growth? I think it's always been true that physical stores
1: are important to, to, you know, our advertising or media as Doug Stevens talks about it. I think, I think that's always been true. We got to a period where, where, as digital became more important there was this belief that stores weren't so important in all of that. And we could just go directly to the customer with low cost digital advertising. And there was a period where, you know, it was kind of the wild, wild West and where customer acquisition as, as well as customer reactivation was mm-hmm. fairly inexpensive. Uh, but but over the last several years, that equation has really changed. And so it is the case now that, um, that stores can be particularly cost effective in acquiring new customers, but I think they're also cost effective in many occasions in reminding customers mm-hmm. uh, of you, you know, whether that's your you walk past them in the store in the mall or drive past it or mm-hmm. or what have you. So there's a kind of billboard effect, I think many people call that of mm-hmm. the, of the store. So I think it's been both the appreciation of the stores as advertising, as well as some of the other roles that they can perform beyond just being places to go pick stuff up. But I also think uh, so many, particularly these digitally native vertical brands were seeing that it was impossible to get positive customer lifetime value, given the cost of, of digital advertising. So the environment has
0: changed uh, over the last few years. Um, that, that that's super important. Yeah, that's a equation. super important point. Yeah, because if we if yeah, you and I'm I were doing this five years ago, um, it may be the case that I don't need another store. I'll just put another dollar into one of the platforms. But now that last incremental dollar, or the the return on that last incremental dollar, I, I think it's up for grabs. Yeah. So, and that's, that's why, you know, so,
1: you know, the store strike back was kind of that three years ago thing. The store strike back again was a little bit of, you know, specifically what happened during the depths of COVID the store strike back again, again, which I put in my 2022 retail predictions is I think there is kind of this, this renaissance that's going on with, with stores because of the diverse roles that they can play the more kind of hybrid Roles. So, yes, they're a place to go get stuff, but they're a place to do buy online, pick up and store. They may have a role in e-commerce fulfillment. They're great advertising, perhaps. They're the most, um, you know, sort of emotionally connecting part of your mm-hmm. brand if you've got something that's more experiential or salespeople or, or what have you. So, I think there is this, this, you know, kind of rebirth that's going on. And the data shows that, um, you know, more stores, I think more stores opened last year. Then we're closed for the first time in a while, uh, but we continue to see the numbers of store openings and, and significant reinvestment in physical stores go up. And I, I do think this is a realization of, of you know, a number of factors that we've talked about. Tilting the balance, I shouldn't say the balance, but mm-hmm. reinforcing that physical stores are still important. The reason why I don't want to say tilting the balance is because e-commerce is is clearly going to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, at a faster rate than what gets rung up in a physical store so i'm not i I was i was gonna
0: say i I, I was just actually gonna say you know uh, to be clear what you're not saying you're not saying the brick and mortar will start growing faster in e-commerce i mean e-commerce growth i mean eventually it plateaus it won't nothing goes forever but you're not saying that e-commerce like in other words the revival of stores or the renaissance of stores does not necessarily equal the the uh, the slowing down momentum on e-commerce, right?
1: No, I think there, I think overall, there's an inexorable pull towards, towards e-commerce. And, you know, there is a little bit, we've talked about this a couple of times. There's a little bit about, you know, what is e-commerce exactly because there is the e-commerce where a store is really not involved. And then there's the, I ordered it online, but the store is fulfilling it. So that, that muddies the, the waters a little bit, but, uh, and I think this year, you know, we saw this a little bit last year, where e-commerce growth moderated because it was comparing to such a blockbuster year. Uh, you know, the first year of COVID. So there, there are a little, you know, little nuances, I guess, over the next the next bit here, depending on the category. But no, I, I believe e-commerce is going to continue to pick up um, market share penetration. You know, at probably a point and a half or so a year for the next mm. several years. So you've got maybe physical stores growing three, four, five percent, depending on the category, you'll have e-commerce growing probably 10 to fifteen percent depending mm-hmm. on the category. So you know, that train has left the station. But the real thing is to number one, don't believe the retail apocalypse. Number two, don't assume because that is happening that that automatically means you should disinvest in, in mm-hmm. your stores, whether that's closing stores, are just not spending as much money on them. And then the third thing is really to appreciate this hybrid approach and, you know, get really granular on what you need to do because stores are definitely different today than they were five years ago. They will be quite a bit different, I'm sure, in a few years' time than they are today. So uh, it's really getting down to create that hybrid strategy that will be effective, which is a blend of digital Mm. and physical,
0: not a kind of either-or choice. Yeah, right, right, right. On one of the uh, stores that stands out in my mind's the France uh, French based uh, Decathlon store has just opened up a store in uh, Calgary, and it, it's an interesting store because it, it is both an experience store. It is also the Western distribution for e-commerce, and they have these you know wonderful robots. Uh, zipping around and it's all with glass. So like you, you I've seen people like watching it. Like it become you know, robots is entertainment, fulfillment is entertainment. I never saw never thought I'd like, see such a thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago about kind of starting with a blank sheet of paper. If yeah, you get the opportunity now, you're you're fortunate if you're a decathlon or a Warby Parker or you know, these companies that are adding a lot of new stores. Um, you know, so you get to not only pick what is the hot location today, which, you know, <laughs> that obviously shifts over time in terms of where you want to be, both, mm-hmm. you know, markets, but particular places within a market. You get to, you know, construct that store in the size and layout and, and visuals in a way that is modern retail. So that's a huge advantage. But for legacy retailers, um, you know, it's obviously more expensive to, try to subdivide your space or get out of a lease early or Mm -hmm. whatever, but there's always going to be leases that are coming up for renewal. Um, There may be opportunities to add really different kinds of stores like Nike and Nordstrom and others. uh, Bloomingdale's is doing. So you have to think about, you know, what is, what is the particular role of, of the store broadly? But when you get a chance to refresh a store, reconfigure a store, put a new store in the market, what is the purpose built reason for that store that might be complementary to your existing footprint. So I think I, I I'm, I'm excited, you know, it can't, as we talked about in the reconfiguration episode, when it comes to physical assets, whether we're talking about stores or distribution centers or what have you, uh, you know, that's way more complicated and time consuming to significantly evolve your portfolio, but mm-hmm. there will be opportunities to, to do that over the next few years. And uh, I hope, I hope retailers will think more creatively about how, uh, that brick-and-mortar presence can enhance their overall brand strategy in concert with what they're doing on the digital e-commerce side.
0: Well, we certainly see evidence of that creative thinking happening. I mean, this Decathlon store actually went into an old Sears store, right? They took a multi-level steer, Sears store and, and broke it into several pieces and, and uh, from from an empty store into rebirth and uh, some innovative concepts. So I guess that that's a nice metaphor or a nice example of uh, how the industry keeps renewing itself. Well, listen, Let's leave it there. Great discussion. Uh, There's not a theme that uh, we'll be laying down and never coming back to stores. And the role of e-commerce is really central to to retail these days. So uh, great discussion. And uh, as I said, let's leave it there. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform so you can catch up with all our great interviews and insights and new episodes will show up each and every week. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel. And last but not least, tell your friends and colleagues in the retail industry all about us. And I'm Steve Dennis,
1: author of the best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. You can learn more about me, my consulting, and keynote speaking at stephenpdennis.com.
0: And I'm Michael LeBlanc, producer and co-host of the Conversations of Commerce Next podcast, the Voice of Retail podcast, keynote speaker, and host of the all-new Last Request Barbecue Cooking Show on YouTube. And you can learn even more about me on LinkedIn or emileblanc.co. Have a safe week, everyone.